I'm Jessica. And I'm David. And this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. So I always said I'm going to save Paris. Paris is worth saving to go with the one you love. And I was fortunate enough to be able to travel abroad, to study abroad, and go to lots of different places. But I always said I'm not going to go to Paris until I found the one that I love. And so I'm going to skirt around it and go to different places, but always knew Paris was out there waiting. And let me tell you, it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait to be able to go to Paris with the one I love. So to recap where we are, this Paris that was worth waiting for, we left off in Calais. Now, Calais, if you recall, is that French port city on the other side of the English Channel from Dover. We went to Dover. We took the channel. Remember, don't do that. Don't take the ferry. Bad mistake. It was a, not a good idea. You could just take the channel train from London straight to Paris. You get right out there. Or you can just fly there. That's a little bit annoying because you have to get into the city from the airport. But what we did is we let off exactly pretty much where the channel train lets off where we took a train from Calais, let us off in downtown Paris. And then we went from this train station into the subway. Now, we were a bit spoiled from the tube in London. and So easy to get spoiled by the tube, though. So easy to get around, affordable, and very convenient, and not confusing at all. The Paris subway is nothing like that. It is none of these things. It's it's rel- it's convenient for a few stops. And part of that is the language barrier. Neither David nor I speak French, and so what we found incredibly helpful with with the language barrier was the Google Translate app. Download it, download the language, use it, highly recommend it. Right. So we were able to navigate the subway, but that still didn't stop it from being annoyingly confusing compared to, you know, I just imagining, wow, there's a French planner of the city of Paris and a London planner in the, in the city of London. And and they didn't exactly get the subway as, uh, as correct as I would have liked. But again, we're spoiled because the tube is just so good. Very spoiled. So we get off on the subway and we're looking around and we're in downtown Paris. And what a sight. I mean, you have the Notre Dame. You have all this amazing, incredible, breathtaking architecture. When you walk out, you see these gray roofs and and gray uh, facades, and and, and the city feels gray, but that's not a bad thing. Like, it's weird. It's a weird shade of gray. It's a chic gray. It is not a dismal gray. Right. It it is an enlivening shade of gray. And, And I know that sounds weird, but you walk out and there's something in the air. There's something in the architecture. There's something in the beauty of everything you see. It's a cliche. It's a stereotype. But it's something that, oh, oh, this is what everybody's been talking about. And you know it the second that you walk into that city. Right. Paris has the reputation it has for a very well-deserved reason. Paris is an incredible city. Absolutely amazing. Now, we got our apartment for our stay through Airbnb. And this was maybe a little less of affordable than Hostel World, still cheaper than a hotel, but the experience was so amazing. We had this wonderful little studio flat. It was all one room. You had a shower stall, you had a kitchen, you had a bed that took up 90% of the space, and you had an itty-bitty little bistro table and microscopic little chairs. Right, and when we say kitchen, it was basically a counter against the wall. <laughs> yeah, a counter and a range, and that was it. Yeah, it was phenomenal, though. Right. But the best part of this little tiny flat, studio flat, were the window skylights. 
it was at the very top of the building, so it did not have proper windows. It had skylights. And if you stood up on tiptoe and peeked out of this skylight, you could see the spire of the Notre Dame. And so every morning we were in Paris, we woke up to the bells of Notre Dame. And you say that with gusto because there's something so magical about these bells. Yes, and the, the bells just ring out with this coppery tone, this brass hue. It's, it's, it is so different than any other cathedral bell. It's just a wonderful experience to be able to be in there. And it didn't even diminish my love of this cave of a little tiny apartment that we were in by the Which fact that... didn't actually yeah, have a toilet in space. That's what I, I it was about. <laughs> it didn't have a toilet. I can't believe it didn't have a toilet. But it didn't diminish my love of it at all. It just meant that in the middle of the night, if I had to use the restroom, I had to walk down the flights of stairs the toilet was between two flights of stairs, so you had to, we had to go downstairs, and another group of apartments had to go upstairs, and you met in the middle, and there was one toilet, one water closet, and everyone in that area had to use it. Now, I didn't ever run into anybody, thankfully. It was always clean. It was always clean. It was always nice. Uh, so, yeah, you don't get to use a toilet, but here's the thing. You don't want phenomenal world-class accommodations, and if you do, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay for it. I loved this so much. I didn't want a world-class or even a Holiday Inn experience. I wanted this Parisian artist-in-waiting experience. Uh, it might be, yeah, like, Yes, it, it might have been cliched, but uh, I love the cliche that is Paris, and I want to live in that cliche that is Paris. And, and, and you might have heard of these cliches that are Paris, and they are so wonderfully appropriate and, and, and wonderful to be in. And so I loved our tiny apartment. I, I still dream about our tiny How apartment and, and the little, little, uh, twin, the, the small bed that, that they had there and just the skylight. And, and it was great. You knew, you know, what kind of place it was when you walked into this apartment in the Airbnb and they had two wine glasses sitting there waiting for us. And we were able to enjoy that experience. So the first thing we did after leaving our apartment is we wanted to go get dinner. Now, we arrived later in the day, so we didn't really have time to explore the city. But we wanted French food. So we happened to be in an area that has some phenomenal restaurants. Like I said, we were right near the Notre Dame. And so we walked around the neighborhood and we're like, okay, we're going to be really picky. We want the cliched stereotype French bistro. We want the little tiny uh, restaurant with the little tiny round tables and the waiters and tuxedos and, and all these different things. And we found it. Now, I, again, I'm going to probably repeat myself a lot here, but the cliche is a cliche for a reason. We found the most cliche, wonderful French bistro, but it wasn't like a touristy cliche. It was just exactly what you wanted. And it was called the Second Empire. This was a hotel that also has a restaurant on the ground floor. And when you walk in, it is like an art studio. It is painted walls overstuffed chairs and uh, those waiters in, in tuxedos. And the thing about French cooking, it doesn't have the flair of the exotic. It doesn't do the, the filigree and the weird stuff. You can get that because the French chefs are bar none. They're, they're, they're phenomenal. You can get all that world-class stuff. But the thing about French cooking that I appreciate and that they do that no one else does is just do the classics perfectly. The simple stuff, perfectly. 
And so that's what we wanted to get. Something... And they take pride in the quality of their ingredients above all. The, the basis of French cooking is start with the best you can get and do it the best that you can. Now, starting with these best ingredients, David started with a pumpkin soup. I started with my own personal favorite French dish, escargot. Now, I'd never actually had snails before, not because I was avoiding them or I'm, you know, just I, I never really had an access to them. And so she let me have one of these things, buttery and oh, savory, garlicky. garlicky. It was so just that umami flavor was just so phenomenal. And but I your had pumpkin soup. It was served in a tureen that looked like it was something out of Beauty and the Beast. It was like, I swear my f spoon was going to jump out and start singing to me. It was a great dish and it just savory pumpkin soup in this big ceramic bowl. So rich. Right. And then, like I said, simple dishes done perfectly. I had roast duck that was by far the best fowl dish, the best bird I'd ever eaten. It was crispy on its crispy skin, juicy in the middle, and just absolutely perfectly cooked. Now, I had roast chicken, and you hear roast chicken, and you think Sunday dinner with mom. I can't tell my mom about this chicken because it puts hers to shame. It's the perfect idea of, well, a roast chicken, that's something pretty plain, right? You do no. it perfectly, and it becomes something that, oh my gosh, this is, it's the same dish, but it's a whole other level. You take good ingredients, prepare them perfectly, and it transcends what it is into something it shouldn't possibly be. How do they do this? How do they make this simple dish Pure so alchemy. Blind? Right. So we're going to have a lot of food talk in this episode. Apologies. So one of the big things that I really wanted to do in Paris that I was so excited about was seeing the Louvre. So the next day we dedicated the entire day, we're going to do nothing but the Louvre. So we showed up as early as can be. And let me tell you, we didn't have enough time. We were there from the opening and we were there when they closed and we ran out of time. It is that big. Every year there is a best museums list that comes out. And it's really just a competition for number two because the number one always, and deservedly so, is the Louvre. It has everything you want to see in a museum. There's art from every stage you can think of in history. There is history, sculptures and histories, documents that are his of historical significance, artifacts of historical significance, sculpture, costume dress. The building itself is an old French palace. It is everything you want in a museum and more. And so we started out, the second I heard that this was there, I went straight to this big obelisk that is called the Code of Hammurabi. I'm still geeking out just thinking about it because this is the oldest code of laws that we've ever discovered. It is essentially the foundational basis that created everything from the Magna Carta to the, to the Constitution. Everything dates back to the Code of Hammurabi, and it's in this big black pillar that, listen, imagine if the, the Constitution was carved into stone and just plopped in the middle of the road, and, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years later, that's the only record we ever had that the Constitution existed. Now, I listened to this for a solid hour in the loop. I am going to cut him <laughs> off here. She had to drag me away. But... Now, in all fairness, you had to drag me away from the statuary, the winged Nike, and the Venus de Melo, and 
all these amazing pieces. Right. If you if you think of anything and it's there in the, in the museum. So she loves the sculpture and I like the history and we get to see plenty of both. We got to see ancient Egyptian sarcophagi. We got to see ancient Babylonian gateway carvings. We got to see all sorts of historical artifacts that I can't even think of all of them. There was this ancient Assyrian things, ancient Persian things, all sorts of different things. And the ancient stuff is the most phenomenal because it is so rare and so ancient. It's unbelievably it's, old. Right. But then, of course, the Louvre, what is its most famous piece? The Mona Lisa. You got to see the Mona Lisa. Again, it's a stereotype. It's a cliche. But go see the Mona Lisa because it is a beautiful piece of art. You hear a lot of riffraff saying, oh, don't, it's just a little tiny painting. Well, yeah, it kind of is. But it's also the most famous piece of artwork in the entire world. It's so, probably the first art piece anyone can name ever. If you go to Paris without seeing the Mona Lisa, you're probably going to kick yourself. So go see the Mona Lisa. So you do what you got to do. You kind of elbow your way through the crowd, make your way. And there's the Mona Lisa. Take a picture. It's worth doing. You don't have to linger over it. It's 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 okay if it's not your favorite piece of artwork. It's not mine, but it's it's just a brilliant piece and it's famous. Just don't linger too long and take too many selfies because there is a lot of other pieces of art in the Louvre. I we were running low on time and we happened upon a corridor and we thought, "Oh, oh my gosh, that's here." Yeah, that happened like several times like, "Oh, oh, oh, I forgot that there's this whole wing we missed and it's historical paintings. We got to see this giant painting of of the crowning of Napoleon. It was, "Oh my gosh, this what Oh, that's there. Oh my gosh, that there, that painting. I've only ever seen that painting in memes. You know, it was just a wonderful experience. And we we forgot to, to eat lunch at one point and we realized how hungry we were. About two o'clock. And we re happened upon this restaurant in the Louvre. I don't recommend you doing it. It was way overpriced. And so expensive. It took a little time. It but was delicious. Yeah, it was delicious. It took long, longer than we wanted to. And I'm talking so fast because I'm really ex I, I really like now the there was a sandwich cart we found right after we got done eating yeah go with the sandwich cart, yeah just guys. grab a sandwich in the snack bar area and and, uh, and and don't worry about that but stay and you could stay all day and and still not see everything. Now as we mentioned earlier, you could see the Notre Dame from our apartment so of course, of course, we had to see the Notre Dame. Now, guys, this is a cathedral. It is an active place of worship. As always, be respectful. But the Notre Dame commands your respect in a way no other cathedral I've ever walked into does. You walk through these doors and this crushing weight of awe just bears down on you. Now, granted, I'm speaking in present tense. Unfortunately, there was the fire in 2019. It is currently under restoration. They are currently removing a centimeter at a time with paintbrushes, the lead dust that just settled over everything. The famous rose windows. You may not know the name, you know the windows. They survived. They are being restored. The organ survived. It is being restored. Now, Macron is hoping to have these restorations done by 2024, so... Hopefully by that time you'll be able to get back in because this cathedral, guys, is absolutely breathtaking, absolutely worth seeing. The vaults and the catacombs, we didn't do that. It was an option. But this cathedral itself, the stained glass and the nave and the... Oh, I can't geek out enough about the <laughs> Notre Dame. So after seeing the Notre Dame, after seeing the Louvre, after seeing all these things, we walked down the Champs-Élysées. And the Champs-Élysées is this upscale shopping center. It's got... 
up super luxurious dress shops, super luxurious handbag places. And thankfully, <laughs> Jessica really wasn't interested in that. You actually did do some dress shopping at one point. I did. I chose a small shop just off of a side street. Not expensive, not name brand, not Chanel, not one of those very famous brands. If you're into that kind of thing, this is a great place to go shopping for that kind of thing. That's not my style. Yeah, you can probably tell that by the fact that we're talking about staying at hostels and what and, and tiny Airbnbs that we're not really into the luxury stuff. But that's what Champs-Élysées is known for, this street full of luxury. And so we thought, well, let's walk down this street and let's get some dinner nearby. And we found a restaurant nearby and I had a pretty interesting uh, cut of meat. It was lamb knuckle. Again, the Parisians and the French, they're known for taking simple ingredients, just doing it perfectly. And they're also known for taking cuts of meat that Americans might not necessarily be exposed to. Now, lamb knuckle is a fattier cut of meat. It's a little bit more of a gamey flavor, but when you capture that flavor and you get those juices blended in perfectly with this wonderful sauce that they made in, a, of course, a glass of red wine, and it was just a phenomenal dinner and worth the experience. Now, of course, when you go to Paris, you must do the Eiffel Tower. Now, you can go to the top of it with my fear of heights not happening. <laughs> the Gustave Eiffel, the guy who actually built it, said that the best view in Paris was in the Eiffel Tower because they didn't, he, didn't get to, he didn't have to look at it. He actually <laughs> did hate the Eiffel Tower. But this thing of beauty, you can find any cafe within sight of it. Sit the Best way to see it in my mind and in David's mind, we did this. Find a small cafe, sit outside, order some escargot, order some white wine, sit there, enjoy these wonderful, buttery, rich snails soaked in pesto with a good, tart, white wine. They weren't quite as good as the ones at the Second Empire. They were not. They were still absolutely amazing, but not quite as good as the first ones we had. But that white wine... And that view, that view of the Eiffel Tower sitting there, the only spot of sunshine we had in Paris the entire time we were there. It served for a nice afternoon snack. And so right around the Eiffel Tower is the Arche de Triomphe, which is a big, 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 big uh, arch that celebrates Napoleon's triumphs. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was we wanted to see some of the museums of French military history. Being a history buff and liking museums, we wanted to go see this military history museum. It was an interesting museum because it included more present-day items as and that went back in time. So you started with World War II and kind of a humorous, yeah, yeah, we 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 participated in World War II. They actually had a very good exhibit on the French Resistance, yeah. which actually was important. Yeah, they did a little bit more on World War One, and you know that was a little bit more participant uh, in that. But then you went back into the Napoleon era. You got to see Napoleonic era uniforms. They had some medieval garments and medieval uh, suits of armor, which was phenomenal. And at the end of this museum, you go to this enormous mausoleum. I thought it was a church, this big dome church, and it's built like a church. But inside of it, right in the middle, is this house-sized coffin <laughs> where Napoleon is. And it's just a phenomenal 
grandiose monument to kind of a mass murderer. It was a little bit shocking. You know, English heritage person who's, you know, American English speaker. It was kind of weird to see Napoleon praised like that. They do acknowledge the complexity of his legacy. Right. I get it. George Washington wasn't a saint either. And, and we praise him, you know, so, so it's, it's problematic to praise these people, but you know, it's interesting to say, Oh, well that was the English's enemy. And we worked really hard to make sure, but, but you know what? He did sell Missouri to the Americans. Well, not just in Missouri, the entire Louisiana Purchase. Right. So I guess tipped my hat to Napoleon. Thank you for letting us uh, live in Missouri and live in America, not live in, in France or Spain. After this, the next day, we made a day trip out to Versailles. Now, Versailles is, of course, the palace of palaces, the most famous palace everyone knows of. David thinks, and I disagree, it is not as spectacular as other palaces in Europe. He says that others are copies of Versailles, and they did it bigger, and they did it better. <laughs> well, and it's... I say, you know what? <laughs> Versailles is the original. It's the original. Everyone, you know, you go to these places in St. Petersburg and in Madrid, and they're saying, oh, well, this king went to Versailles, and he thought, I'm going to do one better, and he... He went back home and he built one better. And they are quite a little bit more ostentatious than Versailles. But Versailles is the one that they're all based off They're of. the original gilded lily. And I say that because you have these beautiful, amazing grounds. And then you have this gilded palace and everything is gilded. From the iron gates outside to every single bit of filigree in the ceiling, everything has that golden paint and gilding on it. And it and it is quite phenomenal to be there. Not to mention there's a lot of history in so Versailles, there's 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 a lot of peace treaties that were signed there. There's a lot of you know there's still to this day are meetings and gatherings there. And the, the the what was a little bit weird to me in terms of it wasn't as grandiose as I thought is there's this mirror ballroom where you're in a ballroom with lots of mirrors, which I guess were luxurious back a few hundred years ago. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it the mirrors were a little bit faded looking. I, I get it. It's but grinding with age. But imagine new, glittering with candlelight and gems and the, the royal French court. Maybe my English is showing here, but I was sort of, meh. You know, it was, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Versailles. He has romance in his soul, I promise. But Versailles was a little hard to get to. We had to take the subway all the way to the end of the line. Now, I've got a funny story about that subway I'm coming back to. But you take the subway all the way to the end of the line. You get off. You take a bus, then it's a little bit of a hike. Again, worth going to. It's Versailles, after all. You have to put some effort in to get to Versailles. You can hire a cab or hire a car. It's expensive to do that. It is a bit of a hike, but you just have to keep your head on your shoulders. Like most things with budget travelers, just pay attention and know that it's going to take a little bit more you know, foot effort uh, to get there, but you can get there just fine. And maybe don't go in the height of tourist season like we did. It was so crowded, so packed. Um, we actually had a run-in with a, a Chinese tourist who almost pushed me over a railing to take a photo of a chandelier I was pointing out to David. <laughs> yeah, you can you can assert yourself in front of, you know, the Mona Lisa and whatnot. Just don't elbow people out of the don't way. Don't be a jerk. Like, don't, don't shove people out of the way. Uh, you know, try not to be that rude tourist. And also understand you're kind of a representative of whatever country you're from. So if you're the rude tourist, everyone's going to say, well, I guess everybody from America or everybody from Portugal must be a jerk. Because... Whether that's true or not. Right. So be on your best behavior and be kind. Right. So funny story about the subway. It was raining and cold most of the time we were there. And so finally I break down. I tell David, I'm freezing. I need a sweatshirt. So he buys me this 
cliched sweatshirt. It's black. It's got pears written across the front. So I've got my jeans on, got my sneakers on, got this Paris hoodie on. I'm not looking my best. I am not a Parisian standards. We get on the subway and there's this gorgeous blonde haired Parisian woman dressed to the nines from her manicured fingernails down to her very polished shiny shoes. Beautifully dressed. And she gives me the look. Ladies, you know this look. It's the one that starts at your toes, sweeps up, sweeps down, and you are found wanting. So, as she's giving me this very, very specific look... Which I don't notice at all. I'm just, do-do-do-do-do, we're hanging out on the subway. (laughs) This very intoxicated homeless man staggers on, plops down right next to her. Her hottie look vanished. (laughs) (laughs) We we had to position ourselves in such a way that I was pretty sure he was about to projectile vomit. And so he had like, okay, where should I stand where I'm not going to get hit with this water hose that's going to be coming here any second now? We navigated our way down the car a little bit. And and speaking of, you know, homeless people and, 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 and pickpocketers and that sort of thing, it is a problem in Paris. It's a problem all over. It's a problem in all over Europe. But when you're a budget traveler, when you're trying to keep your head on your shoulders, this is just something that you have to deal with. And there's a few proper precautions that you can make. We've already talked about the fact that Jessica and I both took travel wedding rings. We didn't have our nice wedding rings. We took just a cheap $10 gold band for me. I bought a clotter ring on Amazon, an Irish clotter ring. And we still have them. We call them our travel rings. We wear them when we take any vacation, Right. Really. You kind of have to prepare to have something on your person that you can throw at a pickpocketer if you absolutely have to. Right. So David and I each took two credit cards apiece. We carried the same one, so we'd leave one at the hotel, and one would be with us. And we only took a small portion of the cash we had with us on our person at any time. Right. So if we did have trouble, we could just throw what was on our person at them and still be okay for the rest of the trip. Redundancies are the name of the game when it comes to international budget travel. As long as you have a backup, you're good. And it's actually quite liberating to walk around not feeling that you need to worry about this. But also keep a head on your shoulders because you don't want to have to use that redundant item. One of the things that we've encountered was noteworthy was there was a clipboard that was going around that we saw in random... A fake petition. Yeah, it was a fake petition and it had a handicap symbol on it. And we were like, okay, well, we're not EU citizens. We can't vote on anything, so they can't get our signature for any reason. And so we saw this elderly gentleman wearing a long coat and had an umbrella and a whole flock of kids come rushing at him with this clipboard and they're saying, sign, sign, sign. And, and he's baffled, doesn't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, we hear him shout, and I'm like, oh my, he he got his wallet stolen. They stole his wallet. And so he's swinging his umbrella <laughs> like like a club and chasing these kids away, and they're taking off down the street with their wallet, with his wallet. And we thought, okay, no more petitions. If we see a petition, we cross the street. We've got to stay away from these things. And on that note, ladies, a crossbody bag is your friend here. Carry a small purse. You don't need to carry much with you when you're on the street traveling. Carry a small purse and make sure it's a crossbody. And if, you, if you're wearing a jacket, wear it under your jacket. So after all these wonderful experiences, one of the things that I really wanted to do was a charcuterie platter. All the great cheeses and sausages and red wines and white wines, you hear about them, they're French in origin, or at least many of them are French. And so I thought, let's find, let's get really picky and find a charcuterie place. 
And so we found this place that sells different cheeses and sausages, but in the back, there's also a little bistro where you can get charcuterie platters. Again, this is right by our, our Airbnb, which is right by the Notre Dame. Wonderful little neighborhood. It's also where Fantastic. Jessica got her dress. So orient yourself. If you if you go to, I hope it's still there, find the, the Second Empire. You can just use that as your sort of waypoint. There's lots of neat places. I fell in love with that neighborhood. But this charcuterie place, we got pâtés, hard sausages, soft sausages, hard cheese, soft cheese. And you go from one to the next, that fatty, savory, umami flavor of the pate, and then the sharp, crisp cheese, and then the, mmm, just the, 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 the fruity, raspberry, wine-like flavors, and then you go in another direction. You get this hard sausage with just some bitter, sharp fl flavors, bold flavors, and then a creamy cheese, and then you pair that again with the wine, and then you go back and forth and all these different things. Don't go to Paris on a baby moon. You want to be able to eat. Yes, you want to be able to eat all the different highly fatty, unpasteurized cheeses, all those wonderful things. We ate so much in this, and we realized after the fact that if you just eat a dinner of nothing but cheese and meat... Oh, and that lovely, amazing French bread. Oh, so that you had the that bread. crispy bread that just goes with it. It can leave you with an upset stomach. So we went around the corner to a place just to settle our stomachs, and we said, you know what? Another thing we really wanted to do was to get a glass of champagne. So we found a little cafe, and we had a glass of champagne, which was surprisingly affordable... Just a glass of champagne. I think it cost about 10 euros. And we enjoyed that. Now, they paired that with some popcorn. Popcorn's a weird pairing with popcorn champagne. Popcorn and champagne do not but go it together. But it was a little cafe where we had some champagne and we ate the popcorn. And it settled our stomachs a bit. And it was just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful capped to a wonderful meal. And then to top it all off, we went around the corner to a pastry shop and got a delectable, artistic-looking pastry, took that up to our apartment, and, well, we had a nice romantic evening. Now, the next day... Now, keep in mind, when you are in any part of Europe that is not the UK, breakfast is a croissant and an espresso. You say that like it's such a bad thing. <laughs> if I never eat another croissant, it will be too soon. I could wake up every day eat a pastry, a croissant, a, a chocolate croissant, any kind of pastry, and a cup of espresso or a cup of coffee, and I'm in heaven every single time. I'm much more of a eggs and sausage kind of girl. And so you cannot find eggs in continental Europe. They just don't do them. It's not as common as it is in America and in the UK. So you can find it, and we happened to find it one morning. Well, we found a place that advertised omelets. It was burnt scrambled eggs... Yeah, it's and a, that's it. Now, I know in America, we think omelet, we think of this like burrito thing full of bacon and cheese and whatnot. But at least an omelet is supposed to have a little bit of cheese in it, right? There was It was just burnt egg. There was no cheese. They barely put salt and pepper on the darn so thing. So she had her omelet and she was so sad. She started crying. She's like, I wanted eggs. And the, it was the only meal we had in all of Paris that was actually not very good. But that's what happens when I guess you have a word that says omelet and it means one thing and another thing. And I don't know if it was actually a bad omelet or if it was just our expectations were so different. But if you're wanting an omelet, 
Don't get one in Paris. Well, you might. I'm not going to say don't get an omelet in Paris. You might find a perfectly usable one. It just won't be full of stuff like it is in the United States. If you like pastry, you cannot go wrong getting a pastry breakfast in Paris. I was just tired of it by that point. So one of the things that we wanted to do at this day was nothing. (laughs) We wanted to do nothing and just be in Paris and just soak up Paris. And so we decided that we're just going to go to this cafe we're going to have our coffee, have a little pastry, and we're going to stay there as long as we want. And we're going to stay there in the morning, and we're going to read some books, and we're going to sit. We found it was right on the edge of the river, over the Seine, and looking right at the Notre Dame. And we're just going to sit there and be in Paris. And it was phenomenal. Now, the only problem with it is, of course, the river was flooded. Very flooded. (laughs) So uh, it wasn't the picture-perfect view. The Seine, the river that goes through Paris, was flooded. If you recall from our, our episode on Dover, all that rain that was in Dover went down into Paris, and all that river areas that are tributaries to the Seine flooded it so much that the bridges in and around Paris, some of them got closed They shut down the Louvre the day after we went there. So thankfully, we had already been to the Louvre. They shut it down to preserve the artifacts that are below ground floor because they were worried about it flooding. So I would have been devastated if we went to Paris and we couldn't go see the Louvre. But it was a little devastating because it was a little bit eh, dreary looking. But even if the Seine is flooded. It's still the Seine. It's, and you're, there's still the Notre Dame, and you can still hear the, the, the bells. And we were sitting there at this cafe, and this gentleman came to the bridge we were looking at. And it has this juxtaposition of little arched stone bridge with a gentleman playing a, an accordion. And then there's the Notre Dame on a, over his shoulder, and the bells are playing, and he's playing the accordion. And we're sipping our espresso, and we're reading our books, and it was just heaven and then the server came over and said hey you've been here for three hours you you guys need to leave because it's lunchtime and we need this table so we left and we wanted to have a picnic now jessica had been dreaming about this for a long time having a picnic at the edge of the Seine with some fresh fruit maybe some bread and some sandwich meat or something and some cheese and have a nice picnic at the edge of the river Except the river was nearly on the street. (laughs) No, yeah, it didn't look quite the way I envisioned it when we were planning the trip, but we made it happen. And that's the important thing. When you're traveling like this, you've got to be flexible. And if you are flexible and you get to do things, even in a different way than you initially expected, you still get this wonderful experience and these wonderful memories. And I loved our picnic lunch by the Seine. Yeah, you could almost dip your foot in the water at the edge of it because we were on this concrete Not barrier. Not you would want to. It was the so water was cold. like twenty feet above normal height, and so you were nowhere near where it was supposed to. But we spent the day wandering around and got very, very picky about where we wanted to eat for dinner. And we happened upon this place, and one of the reasons we went there is because the staff was having dinner when we wandered by it, and the meal that they served the staff, the chefs, the servers was so delectable looking, we thought, okay, well, that's what they're serving the employees. What's the actual food going to be like? So we made a reservation there immediately, and they weren't seating yet. It was still earlier in the day. So we went and hung out at this cafe and had a beer, which is surprisingly good. You can grab a Cronenberg. I didn't think that the beer culture in Paris would be that good, but there's cafes all over the place. You can get a beer. You can get an absinthe. We didn't get an absinthe, but you can get a beer. And we waited around for our dinner. Paris is such a great place to just relax and do nothing, by the way. So we did nothing for a little bit. We went to dinner, and we had one of the best meals ever at this place. Oh, my goodness. I had the beef stew, 
But I have to say, as delectable and fall off the bone this beef stew was, as red wine delicious the sauce was. Now, it's not a beef stew like you get here in America. It was a beef just cooked for hours and hours and hours in broth and red wine. Again, simple ingredients done perfectly. But your simple ingredient was just that much better. The veal. Oh. He was, he's still jealous of I'm still of my kicking veal. myself for not getting the veal. But I didn't want us to get the same thing. Buttery and fatty and just this absolutely wonderful, delicious, tender, mouth-watering dish. So we got some mousse for dessert, paired it all with a gorgeous bottle of wine. Triple chocolate mousse, right. mind you. White chocolate, milk chocolate, and dark chocolate mousse. It was amazing. And then we spent the rest of the evening just enjoying being in Paris and listening to the bells of the Notre Dame. And that's the thing about Paris. You can soak it in. You can breathe it in. You can eat your heart out of Paris. Literally, You can get, even if it's flooded with water on the Seine, it is a flood of joy to be in Paris. Even when you're running away from pickpocketers, it is a flood of joy and a literal flood in our experience. Right. Now, Paris is one of these cities, we've said this a couple of times, it's never going to be off our list. We are always going to keep Paris on our travel list. Even if I do nothing, it's one of those cities where you don't have to do anything to enjoy. But at the same time, it is a place that has so many things to do. Oh, we didn't do a third of what Paris has to offer. We did do enough to be able to say what our favorites were. So what was your favorite dinner? What was your favorite food? Oh, the escargot of the Second Empire. That veal was amazing. The roast chicken, I still try to recreate that chicken. But that escargot, that wonderful, tender, calamari-like texture, almost a firm texture. And then that butter and the garlic and the white wine. Oh my gosh. I have to go with you there on the Second Empire because my duck was as good as everything else was. That duck was just phenomenal. That That experience experience of the Second Empire, that duck was the best thing I, I ate in Paris. What was your favorite drink? Oh, that champagne. Now, the thing is, we had some tremendous wine in Paris, but we always paired it with food. And so it was always the food and the wine. But that champagne with the popcorn that didn't go, even with a food pairing that frankly was a terrible choice, it shined, it bubbled, it oh Yeah, I have champagne. to I have to agree with you because I think back to all those meals and the red wine was present, but none of the red wines, none of the white wines really jumped out as this was the best drink. It was always it paired with the food and the food was the star. And we ordered well in that regard. And we ordered well. It's just none of them are really jumping to my mind. But that champagne wasn't in itself the worthwhile experience. So what was your favorite thing about Paris? You know, I know these were the second best escargot we had. But sitting in that little cafe, drinking that white wine, eating the escargot, looking up at the Eiffel Tower, and that one spot of sunshine we had when it wasn't raining. As weird as it sounds, as much as I gushed about Paris, as much as I gushed about doing nothing in Paris, the Louvre is my favorite thing about Paris. I wish we could have given the Louvre two days. It needed two days. It's expensive because it's not cheap to get in there. Oh, it is not. If you got a two-day, I don't know if they give discounts. It would be nice if they did, but I don't think they do. So... It is that good of a museum. Paris is a wonderful place to be in. Paris is a wonderful place to soak in and flood your senses with. The Louvre is just that good of a museum. And as as a history buff, as an art buff, as a person who loves museums, 
That's how good the Louvre was. It was my favorite thing in Paris. But I also have to say, just being in Paris is in a lot of ways the best thing about Paris. Yes, the Louvre is there, but you can walk around and see the place where Louis XVI got his head chopped off. You can see where the riots and revolutions happened. You can see where all these different historical events happened. And just looking around at the cafes and sitting and sipping an espresso or sipping a glass of wine... It is a wonderful city to just soak in. Absolutely. Now, David mentioned the absinthe. Now, the best way to drink absinthe is the Green Fairy. So what you do, you take your absinthe glass, you take your absinthe spoon, which is sort of a flat spatula-shaped thing with slots all the way through it. You lay this over the top of the glass. You put a sugar cube on top of the absinthe spoon. You drip absinthe over the sugar cube until you get about an ounce of absinthe in the glass. And then you light the sugar cube on fire and you let it burn until it starts to caramelize around the edges. And once it starts to melt a little bit, you take cold water, you drip it over the sugar cube until the sugar cube is fully dissolved into the absinthe. And you'll see the green fairy start to form in the glass. And it's sweet and it's licoricey and it's bitter and it's this wonderfully complex, very strong drink. That is absolutely unmissable. You can get French absinthe here in the United States. It's widely distributed. My favorite is Grand Absinthe. It's uh, That's the brand that you can get. It's not cheap, uh, but they actually sell it in smaller bottles. You won't need a whole lot. Uh, it is, is a worthwhile experience. Uh, not something we did in Paris, but a fantastic cocktail. And something we've done at home many, many times. Yeah, it's, it reminds us of Paris every time we do it. You can soak in Paris every every time you drink a glass of wine. You can soak in Paris every time you drink a glass of absinthe. And just think back to the glorious moments where we were sitting in a bistro, listening to the bells in the Notre Dame, and trying very hard to imagine that the river was at an appropriate level. <laughs> but it's still an enjoyable, wonderful experience, and definitely something I'm happy I saved it to go with you. So, this has been Passports and Birth Control. Don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Like Passports and Birth Control? Give us a review and follow us on Instagram. Tell us in the comments where you'd like us to go next and support us on Patreon. Your support will send us more places and help us create more episodes.